0: Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm your personal astrophysicist. I hail from New York City, where I serve as director of the Hayden Planetarium of the American Museum of Natural History. And you're all invited. I got with me in studio here in New York, Leanne Lord. Leanne, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Love having you
0: on the show. Good to be here. And this is the Cosmic Queries part. Uh, The Cosmic Queries... uh, Sector of the universe, i yes. like to think. And we've called questions s- submitted to us on in all of our social media. Yes. Uh, Twitter, on our Facebook page. And email. Email and on uh, uh, startalkradio.com. And so this is a hodgepodge, I think. Yes. Right? And I haven't seen them, and, and you've collected them, and mm-hmm. you're going to hand them to me. Yes. And if I don't know the answer, I'll just say, I, I have no idea. <laughs>
1: Well, I can be honest right up front. I have no idea.
0: So let's do this. All right.
1: Uh, We have a question, an email uh, that came from James Isaac Dagenhart. And he says, I have read about something called modified Newtonian dynamics. He reads a lot. "uh, That was introduced (laughs) as being a possible model that doesn't presume the existence of dark matter. Does this have any credence, or is this pseudoscience sensationalism?
0: Man, what what an erudite question. Yes. Modified Newtonian dynamics. That's otherwise known in the trade as MOND. Okay. MOND, Modified Newtonian Dynamics. And
1: would that be an acronym?
0: Yes, an acronym. (laughs) When letters come together and you can pronounce them, right? Uh, But the CIA is not an acronym, unless you said CIA. We we actually spell out the letters. Okay. Yeah, IBM not an acronym. Just putting that on the table. Got it. Uh, so, uh, so what do you want to know? Oh, so people don't like explaining things that we don't understand by other things that we understand less. Okay. So the dark matter problem in the universe, where there's six times as much gravity out there than matter enough to account for it. Right. All right. I understand. Where did it come from? And when this problem was discovered, this is now, you know, 80 years ago, it was called the missing mass problem. There's surely some mass out there, but we can't find it. Where is it? Because I see gravity from it. Mm -hmm. And so, what's the solution? It is the longest standing unsolved problem in modern astrophysics the dark matter problem. And so, there are people who say it's not a matter problem. You just don't understand gravity. Because why do I think there's too much gravity? Because I used an equation of gravity that told me that. An equation handed to me by Isaac Newton, his universal law of gravitation. Okay. So, I got his equation. I plug it in and I put in the numbers. It says, the matter that's out there is not giving me as much gravity as I see. So, Mond... Takes, it starts out with Newton's gravity, because it knows that works for most cases, but mm-hmm. these extreme cases in galaxies and galaxy clusters, there's an extra term there. There's an extra acceleration to account for the extra gravity brought to you by the matter that we've all known and loved. That's MOND, Modified okay. Newtonian Gravity. And it has some interesting successful applications, but it doesn't explain everything. No. For example, we need dark matter in the early universe to explain anything we know about the formation of everything in the cosmos. So, uh, they're, so they're still duking it out. And uh, my, if I were to vote, I would say Mond is on its way out. But, really? Yeah, but it was there fighting for a while.
1: Well, I mean, isn't it, doesn't that... Well, that's what science does. You come up with uh, what's a plausible explanation at the time, and you test, and you test, and see if it stands up, and if it doesn't, you throw it out. There's and, nothing
0: you... wrong with a, ba- a wrong idea. Right. That's the time you put it in, if it helps you try to solve a problem. One of the greatest wrong ideas ever was the geocentric universe with the Earth I in the I thought
1: you were going to say leg warmers. <laughs>
0: yeah. I used to have leg warmers.
1: Oh, you better stop.
0: I used to wear leg warmers. You
1: little flash dancer.
0: Well, I used to dance, so I, so it was, I wasn't just wearing them because it was like... You are know.
1: chilly. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, I still haven't. You are
1: such a rena- oh, yeah, I put don't them on and that. I then
0: I point my toe and raise my leg. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Renaissance man.
0: Well, not anymore. That was just like long ago. But anyhow, what else you got? In
1: a galaxy mm-hmm. far, far away. I am no You know, so question. Mond
0: is there's still people working on Mond.
1: Okay. And, even though they, and, they didn't get the memo it's on the way out. Uh,
0: and we still don't have dark matter completely understood. So until that happens, you know, there'll be people still fighting the good fight. And that's that's science at its best. Yeah, love it. All right,
1: uh, I have a question from Anil Virik, mm-hmm. and it's about
0: lightning. Where are the, do these people? Do we know where they're from?
1: You know, um, Anil did not say. Okay. Oh wait, um, no, didn't say. No, it, didn't they say. just sent the email.
0: Okay, just an email. All right. Uh, so uh-huh. uh,
1: right now they're from Gmail.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what country is that? <laughs> At, that's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Gmail is dark matter.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: now, I heard lately that lasers have been used to try to direct lightning strikes. Strikes. Uh, the laser is shot into the thunderhead clouds, and the plasma flows the laser back. Is there a way to harness this energy and make lightning farms?
0: Well, first of all, that's that's the first I've heard of this, oh. and I think it's amazing. And I can even explain how it works even though I only just learned of it.
1: Because you're that bad. No.
0: Because. No. Cue music. <laughs> I need a theme. A theme. You
1: do. you like, you're the shaft of science. <laughs> what you talk about?
0: Do you know, I was listening to uh, 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 XM radio, uh, 70s on seven, you know, because they have the 60s on six mm-hmm. and 70s on seven. And, on came the theme to Shaft, and I hadn't heard that in a long time. Who's the bad mother, mother, sex machine to all the chicks? And this goes on and on, and then immediately after that song, they didn't miss a beat. They played John Denver's Thank God I'm a Country Boy.
1: and It was like, no! (laughs) Hey, Mister DJ. Did you not
0: take your meds today? No, I happen to like both songs, but you don't play them. This is not a mixtape wow. where you're gonna play. Thank God I'm a country boy after
1: Shaft. You could've hurt yourself on a I dance floor just, with that, man.
0: Okay, now sorry, I distracted myself. Where, where yes, were we? You
1: did lightning fall, lightning, sir? Yeah.
0: So here's what happens: lightning uh, comes about because there's a there's a difference in charge between a cloud and the ground beneath it. Yes, And charges don't like being separate from one another, all right? The molecules reach an excited state because they've lost their electrons. Mm-hmm. And they don't like staying that way. Okay, And all the electrons are sitting on the ground. And those electrons want to get back to the cloud. And so, <laughs> so the cloud comes over, the electrons gather, and they're ready to rise up and reach the cloud again, thus is born a lightning strike, which tells you that lightning goes from the ground to the cloud, not the cloud to the ground. Really? Now, so if you take a laser that's very high power and you ionize gas at the atmosphere in one place versus another, you can build charges around where the cloud is and force a lightning, to str- a lightning bolt to go where you say so. Now that's good. Yeah. Now, now, the person wants to know if we can make a lightning farm out of that. I say, why not? More of Cosmic Queries when we return. We're back on Star Talk. After hours, Leanne, I, I shouldn't keep calling. It that. It's just no. co- it's cosmic queries.
1: No, I like the after dark. You like that? Yes, no, it's, no. it's part of the show's DNA now. Oh, no, thank you. We keep it.
0: Oh, how 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 uh, bio literate of you?
1: Well, you know what? <laughs> hanging out with the folks <laughs> of your ilk.
0: This if you can't hang if you can't be b- bio literate here, you know where where can that happen? You're reading me questions. Yes, called from the internet, and right before the break, you, uh, there was a question about lightning farms. Yes, by. Creating spots where the lightning would strike using high powered lasers that mm-hmm. would ionize the air. And that's a great idea. At first, I learned of it was that question, but it sounds great. It does. You just have to watch out that your lasers aren't so powerful to ionize the air in places so that you can force a lightning discharge that you're using more energy than you get back from the lightning itself. Because then that would be inefficient. Then you're not making a light, you're not farming anything. Right, right. Now. You're getting less than what you started with. Now, it turns out the act of forming a raindrop in a cloud takes some charge out of the cloud and brings it to the ground. Okay. So you're relying on the sun, which evaporated the water in the first place to make the cloud, Mm -hmm. to then drop the water, bringing charges to the ground, relying on that in the first place. So if the the laser's just to help it out, to direct the lightning where it would have struck anyway, but now you strike to strike it to your spot, your sweet spot. Then you got a good farm going.
1: I'm sorry, my what?
0: I just had to say I had to just clarify all of that. Yeah. Oh sorry. You're what
1: I I need a moment. I think I need a cigarette. The man said my sweet spot. I didn't hear anything after that. I'm gone. I'm just gone. I'm gone.
0: We've got to bring you back into the show. Okay. Actually, here we, are. Uh, uh, we I think we have a caller. Actually, do we really? Yes. I
1: love it. Yeah.
0: So some people actually don't use the, the internet to bring in their questions. They actually use this old-fashioned technology called a telephone.
1: You're going to have to explain that one.
0: Let's find out. Uh, caller, are you there?
3: Yes, I am. Hello, Hi caller. You. How are you today?
0: Okay, you know my name, but I don't know your name.
3: Well, I'm not going to tell you right away, if that's okay.
0: Oh, okay.
3: I I actually called in to see if you could figure out what my name is. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. My dad was a physicist, a lot like yourself. He did cosmology, black holes, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so my mother named the first child, so she said that he could name the second child, which is me. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You're giving naming rights to the physicist in the family.
3: That's right. These are
0: the same people who named
3: Quarks,
0: up, down, top, (laughs) bottom, strange, and charmed. These, exactly, are the, these are the exactly. same same people who couldn't co- come up with a more inventive name for their super collider, but super, uh, wait, uh, the superconducting super collider. It's like, you know. If, if Which I,
1: I saw in the Super Friends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was, if folk had, we, I'd call it the super duper collider, right? The physicist, I don't know if the, so have you led a disturbed life because of this? What, what well, name did you end up with?
3: Well, I'm going to see if you can figure it out. Okay. I think he did a little better than that. All um, right. Okay, so my name is Deco, D-A-C-O.
0: D-A-C-O.
3: So, what do you think that stands for?
0: I have no idea. <gasps> Deco.
3: Deco, but think of each letter as okay, D- representing something in an equation.
0: It's Something that would come out of the brain of a physicist.
3: Okay, I'll okay. give you a hint on the on the D. Well
0: let me try. Well, D could be like delta, perhaps, or D could be the little D as when you're taking a derivative that's in calculus. It. Oh, it is. Yes, that's
3: you got the D. Okay,
0: so D A, all right, um, would be a derivative of the variable A, and A could be acceleration. That's it. Oh, it is. I'm loving it. Oh my it. God.
1: Um, it's like a movie.
0: Okay. It's like a Dan Brown movie. You're figuring out the pieces. However, the, the first derivative of acceleration is hardly ever talked about because it, it, it's called the jerk. Did you, know, did you know that? It's called the jerk. It's, it's called the Steve Martin. <laughs> the <jerk>. So <laughs> okay. if, you, if you put on the brake in a car mm-hmm. and then you start leaning forward, that's a constant lean. When, the, uh, when a plane takes off on the runway, there's a constant pressure that you feel backwards. Mm-hmm. All right, So under constant acceleration, you're leaning. Right. If you change the acceleration, you jerk. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's how you go. Got so it. if you're slowing down constantly, but then you slam on the brake, you jerk forward rather than lean forward smoothly. Okay. So the first derivative of acceleration will be the jerk. Okay. Well,
3: let me give you a little hint on the C. It has something to do with. E equals mc squared.
0: Well, c is would clearly be the speed of light, but I don't know what dA would be, though, relative to c as the speed of light. And then I thought o could be like a little o, so uh, I don't know, the speed of light in a vacuum, perhaps. But I could, uh, but uh, other than that, I have no idea where he was going with this.
3: Well, I, I think you you answered the question, because I think it's the speed of light. So the way I understand it is that D is derivative, yes. A is acceleration, yes. D is a constant at an E equals mc squared, Yes. and O is zero. So I'm thinking no change in acceleration at the speed of light, and that just makes me the speed of light. But again, I'm not the physicist. Uh. I don't really know. <laughs> I just have to go on faith here. What, what, he didn't tell you? Well, he said it was an equation.
0: Oh, okay. I think we still can work on this. You think let me keep work- Let me think about this some more. I'll give you the speed of light, but the DA, I don't know. That's- Let me think this one through.
1: I love it. That is such a great first date conversation.
3: <laughs> I-, I know. It's, it's always been a topic of conversation, it's, really. That's
1: so built in and wonderful. And just
3: think, if I was a physicist, I would, you know, have a great name, but I'm not, I can't get my head wrapped around all that math. Well, I'll, I'll,
2: hook you no, I'll hook you up. I'll
3: hook you up. And I actually just debuted with my first novel. It's a thriller. It's called The The Libra Affair.
0: The Libra Affair. Yeah, Libra. and
3: actually it's relevant to you because the, um, the hero in it is a NASA scientist.
2: Uh-huh. And it.
3: the heroine targets him. She's a lady spy because she wants to get a hold of his laser that's going up in space with...
0: The chicks dig the lasers. They like the lasers.
3: He's sending it up to VAP Space Debris, which is really relevant today. And she wants to get a hold of it to VAP a missile. But, Um. yeah, it's quite interesting, huh? Wow.
0: Well, congratulations on that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It
3: came out, and I'm I'm really excited, and... um, Maybe I'll do
0: well. Well, and and you're surely the only Deco in the, uh, in the world. So That's right. One does. You can you can start you can start going solo name on this. Who needs your last name when know, you have right?
3: a unique first you name? You know what? I'm publishing under only my first name, Deco and my logo is Thrillers at the Speed of Light.
1: Ooh, there you right? are so on it. What's the name of your book, hon? The Libra Affair. The Libra Affair. The Libra
0: Affair. Libra, of course, is a constellation, one of the 12 of the traditional zodiac.
1: Traditional? Because they did change last year.
0: Well, no. We've had 13 constellations forever in it. Oh, they just Uh, didn't
1: mention it to other people?
0: Every two years, people forget it, and someone announces it, and they think it's something new that got discovered. Wow. And in fact, uh, the symbol for pound in our world is what? Hashtag? No. Well, it can be that, but (laughs) letters is what? LB. LB, which is Libra. Did you know that? Uh, Most people like write no. LB all their whole lives and don't know that means uh, Libra.
1: I had no idea. Yeah.
0: You, you never stopped and thought, why does LB stand for pounds?
1: Uh, no, dude, I really didn't. <laughs> I had other scales. fish to fry.
0: Libra is the scales. And Libra is the constellation in the sky that has the star names that are the longest of all the others.
1: How about that? Yeah. You would be hella great on Jeopardy.
0: No, no. So I'm going to tell you. So uh, two of the stars in the constellation Libra, one is Zubin el Janubi and the other one is Zubin Shamali.
1: Wow. Zubin El Jalubi,
0: <laughs> Zubin El Janubi, and Zubin Es Shamali.
1: Someone is uh, who listens to this show is naming their twins this <laughs> as we speak, <laughs> and it's your fault. So, did you when
0: you grew up, uh, uh, Deco, Did you did you like were you beaten up by other girls? Who?
3: Well, they didn't beat me up. They were afraid of me.
1: Because I was so unique. I had this unique name. She's so. the speed of light. How could they catch me? Right, there you right. go. They couldn't catch
0: me. <laughs> you got it. Well, I'm going to keep working on your on your thing. Now, did you have a question, or was your question, what was the meaning of your name? Well,
3: you, I wanted to see if you could figure out what my name meant.
0: Okay, I, can, I think I can do better than just, just representing them as single symbols, because maybe they come together in some important way.
3: Well, that would be interesting because I've, you know, I've got on my website this meaning, and if I'm wrong, boy, I need to correct that.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, let me see got if I can. The
3: whole literary world believing that I'm the speed of light.
0: <laughs> no, we can still get the speed of light in there because c is the speed of light. We're not going to argue that. Okay. Uh, I'll, let me work on it, and we'll get back to you.
3: Okay, Super. thank you so much for taking my call. Well, uh, happy so much to. Fun.
0: Happy to have you on. Well, thanks for calling Star Talk, the Cosmic Queries Edition. So. Uh, to Leanne. Yes. Yeah, so so what was your mother smoking when she named you?
1: Um, I had, listen, you <laughs> asked what my dad was smoking cuz this is what happens when you let fathers name their kids.
0: Oh, is that what that is? Yes, yeah. my
1: dad was a big fan of Vivian Lee.
0: Oh. That's how I got the
1: L-E-I-G-H, uh-huh. and then they just threw tacked on the end, so if people think I'm from the South, and I'm not.
0: Yeah, Leanne, where's L-E-N. your accent? Yeah. Ex- but you're from Brooklyn or something, right?
1: I'm from Queens. Queens. Excuse me. Yeah, come on, get it right now. So
0: I got like 15 seconds. Is there a 15-second question there?
1: No, nah, man, <laughs> there's really not. These these, pe- these are emails. People did not feel constrained in any way. We have novel size. Oh, questions
0: Oh, because if it came over Twitter, they'd they contain it yeah, in contain 140 themselves. characters. They would contain themselves.
1: Emails people are not containing themselves
0: all right well we'll get back to a longer question on the cosmos in the cosmic queries edition right after this this podcast is supported by fedex We're back to the Cosmic Queries of Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Leanne.
1: Leanne Lord is here.
0: Leanne Lord, how are
1: you? I'm excellent. How are you? All right.
0: Well, you were reading me questions before the break. I was. Called from, the, in this case, email, right? Yes. You know where they're from. Sometimes they tell us where they're from. Well,
1: actually, yes. I do have someone who has emailed us from Barcelona.
0: Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah.
1: Yes. They have the lift. Yes. Uh, and this is from Joan. Beut-
0: beautiful city, of course. Of course. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get out. I don't man. get out.
1: Well, no, I get out. I just haven't been there. Okay. I have been there. Um, this is from Joan. Joan Ginpere uh, or Ginpere. I'm not sure. And uh, she says, congratulations on this great show. And it makes uh, my... Daily two-hour train trips to work a lot easier. So we're helping people on their commute. Yeah. Sure. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, she says that uh, some time ago, Stephen Hawking said that in a contact uh, with an advanced civilization, uh, it could turn very bad for us. Uh, same as when Europeans went to America. So can the potential risks of contacting an alien civilization uh, somehow be evaluated um, I guess that according to the history of only advanced civilization that we know uh, so far, it doesn't look pretty for us.
0: Yeah, so all of our worries derive entirely from the fact that anytime we did that, we totally messed over the folks that we came upon. Just a bit. And the the analogy here is that if anybody visits us, that means they – cross the vast emptiness of space in some kind of vehicle that is beyond our capacity to accomplish. Right. Because we're not doing that. Right. Which would make them more, more advanced than we are.
1: Mm-hmm. They're a, not coming over in Range Rovers as well.
0: A, you're saying. B. Now they come over. In all the cases where the Europeans went to the New World, they had greater technologies than the people they came upon, mm-hmm. and it's always it's always been bad for the people with the lesser technologies. So the fear factor that Stephen Hawking is expressing is more a fear of how he knows we would treat other people than it is from any actual knowledge of how an actual alien would treat us. So, in fact, he's holding up a mirror to our own cultures and our own motivations.
1: So it's transference. We're assuming they're going to act like we
0: I didn't know there's such a word. Sure. The the psychology talk, transference? Yeah. a little bit. There. Transference. I'll go with that. That's what it was.
1: I co-host a t- psychology show, and so I learned some stuff okay. over there and bring it here.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, next one.
1: Our next question um, is from Emiri. I hope I'm saying your mm-hmm. name correctly, and um, she says, "Dr. Tyson's explanation of how we could move." How do you know it's a she? I don't. You're assuming it. I just am. To make that clear. Go on. Okay. So it wants to know. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Dr. Tyson's explanation of how we could move uh, incoming meteorites by parking a satellite next to it, uh, lock them by gravity, then slowly tug them out of its trajectory got me to ask, um, what would it take to do something similar to planets? Like, could we move some of the planets to the Goldilocks zone? Uh, Would it mess up the orbits of Earth or Mars?
0: Uh, Excellent question. So that would be sort of planetary engineering. Yes. Right. Oh, there's a planet we want to live on. If it's too close or it's too far away, let's move it to the Goldilocks zone where the temperature from the sun is just right for liquid water as opposed to frozen water or evaporated water. We, We have words for those. Ice and steam, right? Or vapor.
1: Wait, let me write that down. <laughs> right? I learned so much here. Ice, how do you spell that?
0: So so if the day that we can start shifting planetary bodies around, like asteroids and then large asteroids, start small, work big, I don't see any reason why we can't just shifting start shifting planets around. You have to be careful, because if planets get too close to one another, they create what are called resonances. And when you have a resonance, it means one planet does not orbit freely. It's locked in place relative to another planet. And when that happens, or their their orbital periods mm-hmm. are locked relative to one another. Mm-hmm. And so there are these weird gravitational sort of resonances out there that you want to watch out for because some of them are unstable and you can be flung out of the solar system entirely. In fact, the early solar system, we've hypothesized justifiably that we might have had 20, 30, 50 planets to start out in our solar system. Okay. Because you know what happens if you create a solar system on a computer and give it 50 planets and let it just fight it out, you get like a few planets left after a billion years or so, and the rest are cast into interstellar space, and they're they're, they're called rogue planets. And in fact, there may be more rogue planets, homeless planets in the galaxy than planets that actually orbit Actual stars,
1: homeless planets,
0: homeless planets, and so yeah. I mean, nature does a lot of moving planets around. There are solar systems, star systems, where Jupiter's are close to the host star. Our Jupiter's far away, and we got Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars mm-hmm. uh, between Jupiter and our sun. The other solar system where their Jupiter-sized object is really close. We think that Jupiter migrated inward, flinging other planets out.
1: You're out of my way! I need and, to be near the star.
0: It's exactly. a diva planet. Exactly. Well, that's what we should call them, diva planets. Diva planets, Ooh, that's you, a new uh, you heard it here first. We'll start it here first on Star Talk <laughs> Cosmic Queries. We've got time for one more question in this segment. What do you got? Uh,
1: well, you know what? It, this is sort of comes off of from the same person, off of the same theory. Um, could we move Mercury and Venus, and how long would it take to cool them down sufficiently? To terraform, Oh,
0: uh, things cool off pretty quickly. Oh, you, you, Venus is nine. Like a relationship. <laughs> Not, Venus is hot enough to like melt lead and zinc. And I calculated it would cook nine seconds. Take nine seconds to cook a pizza on your windowsill. But then a, a, a geekier person than I am corrected me and said, "No, you left out the radiative effects of the atmospheric, uh, uh, the thermal, the, and so it actually." Would take a fraction of a second to cook. We got it. Wow. When we come back, more on cooking pizza on Venus. Cosmic queries after hour. We're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Leanne Lord is with me.
1: Yes, I am.
0: Co-hosting.
1: Co-hosting. Comed- My favorite job.
0: Comedian. That's Where well, your favorite? You say that all your
1: No, that's not true. Uh, okay. I love you guys. You, you know because we have the best fans. They tweet me so much. Excellent. It's fantastic.
0: Excellent because you're you're we're on in your stream. Yes. Yeah. Good. So uh, we left off talking about a uh, great question. What Cooking happens? Pizza. Uh, uh, <laughs> move Mercury and Venus. Uh, I presume farther away to make them habitable. Right. To terraform. And, and they know Venus is very hot. Mercury is very hot. Bring them farther away from the sun, so the sun's rays are less intense, Mm -hmm. and bring them into the Goldilocks zone. Here's a problem with Venus. Venus is hot only in part because it's near the sun. It's especially hot because it has a runaway greenhouse effect. There's something about the carbon dioxide you're going to have to fix. Before um, you want to live on Venus.
1: So it's a fixer upper planet. It's a
0: total fixer upper planet. Uh, uh, CO2 is it's 98% of the atmosphere and it's very dense. 100 times the atmospheric pressure on Venus mm. as it is here on Earth. It's, it's probably closer to 90, but I rounded it to 100. Back of the envelope equation. Back of the envelope. It. Yeah. Just round it just because what the difference between 90 and 100 is not important for the point I'm making. Right. So I just round it to 100. And uh, so it's, it's about 100 times the the atmospheric pressure that we have here on Earth. So you step out on Venus, you'll be crushed and vaporized simultaneously.
1: But I'll look good (laughs) because I'll be a lot slimmer for like a half a second.
0: (laughs) So you need to not only fix the CO2 problem, uh, which is a greenhouse gas, as Mm -hmm. we all know, uh, but uh, also when you do that and then you let the planet cool down, that shouldn't take too long because it'll just radiate out into space. Look how fast Earth cools on a hot day – After sunset in the desert. Okay. If you go to the desert, right, if it's Mm -hmm. dry, because actually moisture is a greenhouse gas itself, that's why in wet places you don't get high temperature extremes, but in deserts you do. It warms up in the daytime. Right. There's nothing to trap the heat. There's certainly no carbon dioxide and, and no water vapor. The heat escapes rapidly. Temperature dropped 20, 30 degrees within a few hours. You
1: know what? I always wondered that.
0: That's why the deserts have huge temperature extremes and other places. Hawaii does not. Okay. Completely surrounded by water.
1: Now, is that because that the, uh, then the... The really hottest part of the day is really the end of the day because you still have that heat. Being the hottest released. part of the
0: day is, hottest part of the day is when the sun's rays are its most intense. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be high noon. However, there's a time delay. Mm-hmm. That's when the sun's rays are most uh, intense hitting Earth. Right. But the sun it does not heat the air. The sun heats the ground. The ground heats the air. So there's okay, a, and so there's a time delay between that that takes one or two hours. Okay. That's why the hottest time of day is two or three in the afternoon.
2: Ah, but the that's time what I was thinking of. Okay. You're most
0: susceptible to like sunburn is at high noon when the sun is has its most direct rays on you. So that's this time delay. And that's why the hottest month of the year is not June. No. Even though the sun is at its highest at any location on earth, it's at its highest in that month, it takes a couple of months for the heat to hit the Earth and build up back and then warm the atmosphere. So visible light hits Earth, heats it, Earth re-radiates that same energy as infrared and it's the infrared that gets trapped by the greenhouse gases. If greenhouse trapped visible light, Mm -hmm. the visible light would never reach Earth's surface. It would trap it in midair. This is why we receive energy from the sun and then keep it with the greenhouse effect. Because most of the energy that we that becomes the greenhouse started out as visible light. It's you're, very cool. You're good. That's right. No, no. It's the, univ- it's the universe that's good.
1: Well, no. I mean, the way fact, you're it's not only good, it, it's like though,
0: good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, you're fantastic.
0: Yeah, so uh, it, stuff cools pretty quickly. That's not the problem. That's, okay. Yeah. What else you got?
1: Uh, all right, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a name. Uh, this person is shy.
0: An anonymous email. Okay.
1: Well, I I can say this. They're from a school because they're it's a .edu. So it's oh, an a educational student. institution. Yes, yes. All I'm right. just putting on my got. CSI cap here, mm-hmm. and they want to know who uh, was our most scientifically friendly president. Like, which one of our U.S. presidents was the most friendly to the field of science?
0: Ever. Ever. Yeah, it depends on what you mean by friendly. In Washington, friendly means how much money do you give the enterprise. That's what, That's what. in Washington, all that matters is money. What you say doesn't matter at all. Okay. Okay. But then, a, then let's go. Just an FYI. Got you. Okay. All right. So a few things. Uh, the <laughs> Abe Lincoln began the National Academy of Sciences. Now, that's kind of cool. Very. It was set up to establish a, an advisory board to the Congress that was not itself politically motivated for any reason. And so Congress would call on the National Academy of Sciences to produce studies on scientific issues that befall the day. I got to put Lincoln at the top of that list okay. as the most uh, scientifically aware and literate.
1: So it was not just a cat owner. <laughs>
0: I didn't know he owned cats. He
1: was the first president to have a cat.
0: I did not know. Why do you even know that?
1: Because I was getting tired of the slavery thing. (laughs) Like, what else did he do?
0: When we come back, more of Cosmic Queries on StarTalk. Star Talk. Cosmic Queries. Leanne Lord hey. with me here in studio. You
1: didn't say my favorite line. What is that? Star Talk. Cosmic Queries after dark.
0: It exists in the dark. <laughs> so we left off talking about uh, Link. The question was who's the most science friendly president? Yes. And I'd have to say. Given all the things that presidents have done, and there, you know Jefferson was quite scientifically literate, President Obama has mentioned science in practically every speech he's given. Mentioned? And, uh, I know.
1: <laughs> I'd like the wait. <laughs> so, that's still, very political but of you. I'm still
0: waiting for the money on that. And show me the money. Republicans in the second half of the 20th century tended to give more money to science because science was viewed as an engine of our national security. So it wasn't so much that they were curious about the frontier, but just that science was good for. Uh, war, essentially, mm-hmm. and for winning wars. But Lincoln, there's another bit about Lincoln. You read the Gettysburg Address?
1: Um, I read Abraham Lincoln. Don't say Lincoln. um.
0: Don't start that with an um.
1: I read Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> okay. I think they covered it.
0: Right, a Gettysburg Address, I don't memorize the whole thing, but four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth a new nation, conceived in liberty. It goes on like that. If you feel the rhythm of it, it's five, six, seven words at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's like the right number of words for an attention span if you're listening to someone speak. Think about that. Okay. Yeah. And then I thought about it and I said, why is this speech so effective? Of all the speeches given by all the politicians, this one is up on the wall and there are no complex sentences within it. If you take a quill pen and dip it, (gasps) you have about as much ink Uh as will get you five, six, seven Yeah. And it occurred to me that feather pen writing of speeches forces a rhythm in your communication that is the perfect marriage of words on a page and words to the ear. So to this day, when I'm preparing an important speech, I will write that speech with a quill pen.
4: No. Or
0: I will dip my fountain pen unfilled the so mm-hmm. fountain pens can store ink, yes. so that doesn't count. It's unlimited ink until mm-hmm. you run out. I will not fill it, and I will dip it in a well, and I will write it out that way. And that forces me to contain the ideas in morsels, in parcels of information, which then is my hope that the listener will embrace.
1: Love
2: it.
0: And so I have a collection of fountain pens and quill pens. I do, too. I just go there. I'm That's a pen just, person. just what I do. We've and, talked about this. And sometimes I go all the way, if I'm writing with a quill pen— I like candles, because that's how...
1: Well, that's how it should be done. That's
0: how... If you're going to go there... Do you there, put on the
1: powdered wig? <laughs> I need a picture of you in the powdered wig. This is fantastic.
0: No, I don't do wig.
1: Nothing you Come on now. I you're not doing it the whole way. Oh, come on.
0: So now we're going on to Cosmic Query's lightning round. Lightning
1: round. Let me get the bell.
0: Test it. There we go. All right. Let's do this, Leanne. All
1: right. Lightning Mm round, my favorite. All right. This is from Mike Hall, Mm -hmm. and he wants to know, are there valuable resources that are easier to obtain from space than drilling into the Earth for?
0: Uh, they're not easier to get to, but oh, so you want them. Ooh! <laughs> because on Earth, we fight wars over resources that are underfoot. We do. And the universe is an unlimited supply of all the resources that we fight each other to get down here on Earth. So whether or not they're easier to get, they're better to get. Next.
1: Got it. Yeah. All right. Next question is from Chris Van Gundy. Uh, how can we determine the difference between a brown dwarf and a large rogue planet?
0: Oh, it's hard. Uh, brown dwarf is a star that didn't make it and a large rogue planet rogue planet is just a big old chubby planet. There are astrophysical differences between the two, but they're very hard to notice from a distance. So it's very hard, it's one of the big challenges. And we got low mass star people and high mass planet people meeting in the dark of night trying to solve that problem.
1: You said chubby planet. Next question is from Peter O'Hara. He says, can you give us uh, your take on parallel universes? They sound really cool.
0: I agree. Parallel universes are awesome, but you should think of them not as parallel to one another, but as the consequence of the multiverse. In the multiverse, you have multiple universes popping out of some original uh, distortion of the fabric of space and time. We are just one of multiple universes, hence the multiverse. And so there could be other universes adjacent to to us in a higher dimension, and we would never know it. I think of them as parallel universes. Next.
1: Nice, Joshua Jenkins wants to know, why does the Earth spin in the direction it does, and what if Earth started spinning twice as fast as it does now? Ooh,
0: okay, so we spin this direction because I'm gonna say it exactly physically, you ready? Yes. That is the direction of the angular momentum of the entire solar system. The sun. So we're going with the flow. Beautiful. We are going with the flow. The sun spins that way. All planets orbit that way. The moons orbit that way. Everybody is going counterclockwise as viewed from the top. Now, why do they want to spin up Earth? I don't know. That would have the length of the day. There would be 12-hour days instead of 24-hour days. Oh, I can't and get enough done The no. act of spinning us up? Okay, we'll feel that. That would not be a good day on Earth, all right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you will know when Earth starts spinning faster. Well, you know what'll happen? Stuff behind you will run into you, and you'll be flattened against it, and you'll be a pile of goo on the wall behind you. That's, because you're, right now you're moving 800 miles an hour? With the rotation of the Earth, Mm -hmm. if you all of a sudden start going 1,600 miles an hour, something came in behind you to push you to do that, and that will flatten you into a pile of goo. Next.
1: Yeah, not with it. Fast. Ray Day, what would your opinion be on the seemingly regularity of mass extinctions on Earth?
0: They're not really regular. Uh, There's some analysis where you can see, oh, every 20 million years, things go extinct, but you you have to cut the data in a way that makes it look that way. If you don't cut the data, the regularity is not really there. Okay. So extinction Happen kind of randomly, and we are in the middle of what's called the sixth great extinction on Earth, and that extinction is caused by humans. We gotta run. Oh, gotta gotta go. That's it. Wow. Star Talk brought to you in part by the National Science Foundation. Leanne Lord, great having you. Thank you. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, keep looking up.